21st Century Entrepreneurship with Martin Piskarik. I found that all entrepreneurs want to read more, but they're also running their own business. They're short on time. So I took the time to ask some of the smartest people I know, people that have built multi-billion dollar businesses, what are the books that influence them as an entrepreneur, as a founder? And I read all those books, hundreds of them in fact, and I distilled them down into short five to 10 page summaries for you. The goal of all this, I want to give you 80% of the book's value for less than 5% of the reading time. Most people can read these in five to 10 minutes and it's truly changed the way that a lot of these founders and entrepreneurs have found success. My name is Luke Diaz. I started my career in finance. I was a hedge fund partner in Beijing, China, and I quickly realized I didn't like finance or wearing suits. <laughs> so I transitioned into technology, building customer success teams, and investing in some of the best startup founders uh, that I've been able to find. I created DBT Ventures. DBT stands for Do Big Things a mantra that I, I try and keep in mind a lot. Um, I started that eight years ago and have invested uh, hundreds of thousands, if not millions into these startups, trying to help them grow and help these founders become uh, very successful and realize their vision. Today I woke up feeling pretty good and feeling like I should go out on a run. Don't know where I don't care. Put my headphones on and play so Martin, DBT Ventures writes checks and invests in startups. We write checks of about 50,000 to 250,000. And what we found when we looked at the data was of all startups out there, females actually start about 20% of companies. However, of all the funding that they get, they only receive 2% of the venture capital that's allocated to founders. So another way to think about that is, and the similar trend applies to people of color, is that females are 10x underfunded uh, by venture capital standards, even just taking rough proportions. I was appalled when I saw this data, um, and this has been reported in TechCrunch and the Wall Street Journal. And they're starting to see a little bit of a gap close there with funds specifically being raised to invest in these underdogs, I call them. They have a chip on the shoulder. They have something to prove. I love finding a founder with grit who a lot of VCs have told them no. And I tell them yes, because I see the resilience, the passion, almost the anger and frustration that's boiling inside them. Uh, resilience is one of my favorite if not the favorite trait in a founder.
In addition to females founders being underfunded by a factor of 10x, there's a very similar pattern for people of color. So if there's a BIPOC individual, a founder, they are six to eight times less likely to get funded than a lot of the standard founders that meet with venture capitals, a lot of whom are white and went to Stanford. And there's nothing wrong with that, but there's also a lot of VCs that are white and went to Stanford. Venture capital is trying to address this diversity gap and this inherent bias of people tend to fund people like themselves. Uh, but we're, we have a long way to go. And so I try and specifically focus on females and people of color, write them a check and try and help them grow their business and realize their vision. So Martin, in my past career, when I was a hedge fund partner in China, we were running a hundred million dollar fund and we were making a ton of money and having a ton of success. However, I wasn't happy. I didn't like traveling all over the world, spending tons of time away from family and on airplanes. And as I mentioned, I didn't really like wearing suits all the time either. Ever since investing uh, and starting DBT Ventures, one of the things I'm really proud of is I met an amazing woman named Margaret Nyamumbo. Maggie came from Kenya. She worked her tail off, got into Harvard, even worked on Wall Street. And Maggie decided to start a coffee company called Kahawa 1893. A few years ago, three years ago, I wrote her a check for $100,000 so she could meet her first orders as she was just getting started. This goes back to that theme of underappreciated founders. Just, uh, just less than a year ago, Maggie went on Shark Tank and pitched her brand, Kahawa1893, and got a, an amazing deal. Every shark was fighting for her business. Um, and she ultimately selected the best investor uh, for her to join the board. I'm really proud of being one of the earliest, if not the first check in to Kahawa 1893. And I'm very optimistic for that on both a financial level, but also helping Maggie realize her vision to bring coffee to the world and give back to farmers. Here I am, trying to stand out in the crowd, have my own sound, house so that the fake ones are always so loud, all they do is... Here I am, I'm doing my own thing, and I just want to sing, never wanted to impress, God bless, don't ever want to have to... Mirror, mirror, tell me... I really appreciate the question of, is it gut versus rational when you're making big investment decisions? And I think about that a lot. Do I have spreadsheets that have analyzed the business and looked at future cash flows and looked at the competitive nature of the market? I do. But in my heart of hearts, Martin, I make the decision based on my intuition, 
based on my read of the founder and their qualities and who they are as a person. I think I decide emotionally based on the founder and then I rationalize afterwards looking at the data in the business. So it's heart led, mind follows. And that has proven to be a successful recipe, at least for me, in finding some of the best entrepreneurs in the world. The topic of resilience and that trait in a human is one of the most powerful things that I look for in a founder. Why? Because when the going gets tough, the resilience is what gets you through. The question beneath that is why are they resilient? Are they, are they just angry and frustrated with the way that the world is and they want to change it for the better? Did they have a hard childhood? Did they grow up poor? I personally grew up really poor on the, on the wrong side of the tracks, as they say in the U.S., uh, we, I still remember my mom being on food stamps, um, and the, the look of shame when you're paying with government dollars, not dollars that you've earned. So I have a lot of, um, emotional memories, uh, from childhood. And there's also people that have a chip on their shoulder. They just have something to prove, uh, up to the world. They want to like prove something and make their mark. That trait, which I call resilience, is something that is deeply moving because when the whole world is moving against you or things that are, are, are obstacles, they have a very deep well to draw from, almost unlimited water to help put out fires. And I find that to be very beautiful. Um, I was during the pandemic, I think we all went a little bit crazy. I was feeling very trapped in my house. Um, so I was trying to build resilience myself. And so I signed up for two big goals. One, I want to learn how to fly an airplane. Because what could be more freeing than flying in a plane at 10,000 feet and going anywhere you want? The second goal was to complete an Ironman triathlon. I signed up for these goals in uh, early 2021. And by the end of 2021... In November and December, I had completed my first Ironman in Tempe, Arizona. It took about 13 hours. It was one of the craziest experiences of my life. And the next month, I took my final private pilot test. They call it your check ride. And uh, fortunately, I passed to become a pilot. So in that one year, 2021, I was able to complete my first Ironman and get my private pilot license in the motivation that I felt, I truly felt limitless. There's nothing you can't do. It took some work, it took a schedule, it took planning, but the freedom and the feeling of motivation, I think is what was truly priceless in that experience. I think about freedom in terms of optionality in the sense of 
what are the things you could do? So I view freedom as the superset of things that you could do if you decide that you want to do them. Some things cost a lot of money, some things don't. And freedom, financial freedom is just one type of freedom because there's so many inherent beliefs and limitations that we put upon ourselves. So I don't think of freedom in terms of money. Money is a constraint. Freedom comes from the spirit, from the soul, and our ability to surpass our former selves. Freedom to step outside the comfort zone uh, because you let yourself. Freedom to have the uncomfortable conversation because you're not afraid of the consequences of that. Because your spirit and your energy is truly free. Uh, And sometimes you might feel that in an airplane. Sometimes you might feel that crossing the finish line with an Ironman. Sometimes you might just feel it sitting on the couch, exploring the, the, the recesses of your mind. So that's what freedom means to me. Money is a really important topic. It's, it's, it creates a lot of dreams uh, and it also uh, is a limiting factor in a lot of people's lives. The, we talk about the, the top 1% in the U.S. a lot. Um, if you think about the top 1% of the world, the top 1% of the world earns $30,000 U.S. dollars a year. That is an unbelievable fact that if you make over $30,000 a year, you're in the top 1% of global earners. So I think we can all agree that money is a very serious, uh, very real constraint in the world that we live in. However, uh, it is not a path. It is not the answer. It is simply a tool that tends to amplify character. As I think you've shared, Martin, and I've, I've heard some of your guests echo this, it's like if someone's a jerk and they get more money, they become a bigger jerk. Or if they're very generous and they come into lots of money or earn lots of money, they have tons of charities. And that's, uh, yeah, so I view money as amplifying character, making you uh, kind of like an exponent, right? You put an exponent on a number, uh, it makes you more and bigger of what you already are. So that's that's uh, kind of my high-level thoughts on money. And the only other thing I... I I tend to notice across the board is that people uh, don't save nearly enough. It's very hard to sacrifice the short term to compound in the long term. And compounding is, is uh, one of the eighth wonders of the world. Like compounding is even Einstein, Warren Buffett, they all talk about compounding. And uh, in order for that to work, you have to start early and you have to do it consistently. And so I, I do see a lot of folks make that trade-off of like, you know, I'd rather buy the car and not save, or I'd rather go out to this fancy dinner and not save. But uh, compounding is, is truly special. And that's something that I wish more entrepreneurs and just in general, people appreciated more. It took me a long time to learn that lesson as well.
if folks want to talk or reach out, I would love if you check out dbtventures.com slash library. You can find one of these hundreds of book summaries to save you tremendous time from some of the smartest entrepreneurs in the world in the books that they've recommended to me that I would like to recommend to you. 21st Century Entrepreneurship with Martin Piskarik. Imagine a space where triumphs, trials, and tales of entrepreneurship come alive. Welcome to the 21st Century Entrepreneurship Podcast, a gold awarded journey hosted by Martin Piskorik, connecting with listeners in 95 countries and ranking in the top 0.5% of all podcasts. Join our exclusive community, elevate your perspective, and embark on the path to success.